The Western Hockey League season is in full swing and the Two Paper Guys podcast has you covered. Hear reaction on news and storylines in Medicine Hat, Prince Albert, and around the league. The podcast starts right here, right now. Here's your host, Nathan Ryder of the Prince Albert Daily Herald and James Tubb of the Medicine Hat News. Welcome back to episode 15 of the Two Paper Guys podcast. This is James Tubb with the Medicine Hat News, joined as always uh, by Nathan Ryder of the Prince Albert Daily Herald. Co-host, I don't know if co-host is the right term. Nate. We haven't decided. Co-host, do you like that? Co-host, right? Co-host, I think, is most accurate. There you go. Sicko, aficionado, whatever you want to say. Um, joined by the legend himself of the Western Hockey League, the busiest man when it comes to Western Hockey League podcasts as of late, uh, the main sports reporter of the Brandon Sun, Perry Bergson. Perry, how are you now? Good. I think you guys should just go with life partners. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know him that much. <laughs> I've met Nathan met in once. person twice. Twice. Like, was it once or twice? Twice, twice yeah. We met at the WCBL All-Star Game. I forgot about that one. I forgot about yeah. that one. And then, then then we met in an IHOP when I was on, when I was transiting through Medicine Hat on, on my way home one weekend. Yeah. So twice. So uh, so maybe a couple more uh, shared pancakes, and then we can call each other life partners. How's that sound, Perry? <laughs> that works. For me. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's been a busy time. Obviously, uh, a little past the deadline now, but it's been a busy time in the Western Hockey League, and there's been lots going on. And it was a uh, all three of us had a lot to write during the deadline, so we didn't get to doing this until now. But uh, I'm glad we get to do this and just uh, talk a little bit of hockey here. Yeah, and I guess the first thing we got to start with, and this will probably lead lead to, uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw the floor to you here in in a second, Perry. But uh, the the big trade ships fell on the fourth of January, and that's Connor Geeky to Swift for Josh Fluker, Max McCaggerty, Sam Ward, and four draft picks, and then Matthew Matthew Savoy to Mushja for seven total picks. Um, and I think we all knew at the start of the season that the that the high end trade market was going to run through Wenatchee because given their pick situation, I don't think they picked. If they hadn't made these trades, I don't think they picked until the fifth, the fifth round in 2024, the third round in 2025, and the and the seventh round in 2026. That's how much uh, the Winnipeg regime had taken the nuclear codes to the draft pick cupboard. So they get picks and they get a, get a couple, couple of younger players too in Maddox McCaggerty and Josh Fluker back from Swift Current as part of the, the geeky trade. So I guess we'll just start start with those, Perry. Just kind of, I know you're not a fan of how ludicrously high the prices have been in the Western League the last three, four, five years, but uh, just how do you kind of evaluate Wenatchee making those... Uh, those two trades there. Well, to me, what Winnipeg did over the last two, three years was everything that's wrong in the WHL trade market right now. Uh, you know, teams are trading their futures away for a run. And how many rings do the Winnipeg Ice have? They don't have any. Like, you know, they didn't even make the league final one year, lost in the final the other year. And then they moved the franchise to Anachi, and that's who I feel bad for in all of this. Wenatchee Wild fans. Now, to me, the franchise did a wonderful job 
of preparing their fans for this. I don't know if you guys were on their website at all, but they had a lot of explainers saying, uh, you know, just short stories saying, here's why picks are important. Preparing their fans for the fact that they're going to have to trade their two best players. Imagine- they were, it was perfect. Sorry, go ahead. Just, I did see those. That was perfect. I wish more teams would do stuff like that. Yeah. Imagine moving into a new market. You, you're winning over these fans. you got this incredible hockey team. You know, Connor Geeky, Matt Savoy, two just amazing hockey players. And then, boom, they're gone because of the sins of the previous administration. It's just mind-bending to me that this has to happen. And this is this boom and bust cycle that GMs are getting themselves into that I think ultimately is bad for the league. But let's actually talk about these deals a little bit. Connor Geeky is a kid that I think I interviewed the first time when he was 12. He's from the Brandon area, just north of here, from Strathclair. Um, Josh Fluker is a kid from just south of Brandon. Talked to him a few times. Really uh, beautiful skater. He's one of those kids you would pay to watch skate. Uh, he, I don't know. His game still maybe hasn't completely translated to the WHL, but it's hard to be a young blue liner when you're a pretty slight kid. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Wenatchee also gets a couple of first rounders, a second rounder, and even a seventh rounder. They get the, the two other players. That's a pretty good deal for everybody. Swift was in Brandon last week, and about midway through the game, Connor Geeky just decided, eh, let's win this one, fellas. They're behind <laughs> at that point. He gets four points the rest of the way, and they blow Brandon out of their own ring. Matt Savoy goes to Moose Jaw. You get a couple of first rounders there. You know, what's this third, fourth, sixth, eighth, second? Crazy number again. But what did he have in his Moose Jaw debut? Was it two goals and three assists, guys? I think it was like that. It was banana lambs. It was uh it was a good way to welcome himself to new fans. Well, here's the funny part of this. You've got you've had three teams in the East Division, or let's say in the Eastern Conference. All three of us cover Eastern Conference teams. You've had Moose Jaw go in a tremendous amount. You had Swift go in a little later, make a couple of big trades. And then, of course, Saskatoon has made a bunch of deals during the season. To me, the, the fascinating part of this is one of those three teams doesn't even make the conference final, and probably only one of those three teams goes to the league final because I don't expect that somebody other than those three are going to advance. Do you guys? I... I don't know. I don't know. I just have, assuming they're healthy and everything, it wouldn't surprise me if if I I know that they're a lot of a younger team. But what's stopping Medicine Medicine Hat from pushing one of one of those th- three teams that have kind of established themselves as a top gun, so to speak? I mean, you look just here the other night. Like I think Medicine Hat beat Swift Current five two, and they were only skating nine forwards that night from from what I've been told. So. What's stopping Medicine Hat from kind of being that fourth team in that conversation for a for a spot in in the in the Eastern Conference Final? Like I think Medicine it wouldn't surprise me at all if Medicine Hat ended up in that Eastern Conference Final, and, and if they beat one of those three previously mentioned teams on their way there. James, you covered the Tigers. Yeah, it's. Um, I didn't want to just kind of say that they're the only team, Perry, that I think, as you mentioned, that I would expect one of those three teams to be in the league finals. The Tigers are maybe the only team in the East I could see that would take them down, but it would take a lot. It is a young team. 
the most playoff experience anyone on that roster has is four games. That was when they got swept last year by the former Winnipeg Ice. Um, yeah, it's it <laughs> it's going to be one of those three juggernauts. I still imagine it would be it would be quite a shock, and it'd be a pretty easy story for myself uh, if the Tigers were able to top any of them. But it does feel like the Dayton Destiny is one of those three teams in the finals. Um, I mean, the the difference uh, between winning on a Tuesday in January and running or winning a six or seven game series, those 100%. are different animals completely. Yeah. Yeah. And like a night, well, all it takes is Connor Geeky to decide, like Perry said against Brandon, all right, tonight I'm going to go legend. And he, he can do that. That's a boy, same thing, right? It just takes one of those guys to go, man, this game's over. And that's all it takes. Yeah, like I remember. I wanted to that. sound like I, I, I not res- or I disrespect Medicine Hat. I just think the other three teams, from top to bottom, have more depth, and depth really counts by the time you're getting into a game six or seven in the playoffs. Hundred percent. Oh God, what was I going to say here? But uh, yeah, it's. I think it's going to be, like it. I think you're going to see a lot of deep series in the Eastern Conference this year because even if the standings hold as they are right now. Saskatoon would play Prince Albert in the first round of the playoffs. And I know on paper, though, the Blades would be the superior team on paper, but that's one of the most. Perry, as you know, being having spent time here in Prince Albert, it's a very, very intense rivalry between those two teams. And even in, in when the Raiders won their championship back in 2019, they had to beat the Blades to get there. And I think it's going to be... Like, if that series happened, it's going to be... Even if it's a shorter fought four five six game series like saskatoon's gonna have to pay a heavy physical price to get past prince albert with with uh the way that they play under jeff Truitt. that's why the whl doesn't win memorial cups because you have to win four series and probably three of them are going to be against heavy teams yeah. Plus, yeah. yeah plus plus travel plus like you look at you just look at the teams that would be like like if the playoffs started today as as of the date of recording, you would have it would be some fascinating rivalries in the first in the first round to start things off since you would have uh Saskatoon against Prince Albert, you would have Medicine Hat hosting Lethbridge, uh Moose Jaw hosting Brandon, and then Red Deer and Swift Current would be the last if we're just talking about the Eastern Conference, but that would be, just in terms of storylines, it would be fascinating because, I mean, we all know what happened and how good of a series it was the last time Lethbridge played Medicine Hat in the playoffs. It was Even though fans of Medicine Hat don't like the way that series ended, that was, even if Lethbridge lost that series, you could look back at that series and say that was, that was a very, very, very entertaining series to watch was that second round series in 2017, which was, I think they would have, matched up again if it wasn't for covid but uh that just shows you how the how the pandemic ruined everything that it ruined another lethbridge medicine hat playoff playoff matchup but uh yeah like with with those rivalries that would make the first those first round series even better because i mean you look you look last year you kind of expected you go oh winnipeg's gonna do this you look you go all red deer's gonna take care of business against calgary last year and no i think this year it's gonna be like especially in the east 
as I said before, an absolute bloodbath, especially given the storylines of rivalries and everything like that. We're expecting we could see in the first round, assuming the standings hold like they are right now. You could uh, throw those eight teams in a shaker and pull out any two names. And I'd be fascinated with what happens just because there's so much parody. Like I think the top three teams are a little, uh, a little more elite. And I actually include Swift Current in that group, even though Madison Hat and Red Deer are in front of them a little bit. I think that Swift is probably going to have a pretty good end of the season. But all eight of those teams have things they're very, very good at and are going to cause problems for whoever their opponent is. Yeah, and I also want to going to use this opportunity to talk a little bit about what Lethbridge did it here at the trade deadline move making making some moves with uh uh 20 year olds here obviously they moved Chase Pauls out to Prince George before Christmas so they had that open slot and they picked up Sean Chagall from the Calgary Hitmen for a second and third round pick in 2025 they and then Blake Swetlikoff who was that another 20-year-old on their roster. They moved him along with the third-round pick in 2024, which I believe is the pick they got in the Pauls trade, and a second-round pick in 2025 that they got from Wenatchee, then Winnipeg, in the uh, Braden Edwards-Chase Wheatcroft trade in exchange for Dylan Sador from Kamloops. And then they made another interesting trade is that they got Tyson Zimmer was sent to Vancouver, and and Vancouver, in return... They received 19-year-old Court Colton Lanko, who never reported to Lethbridge, the rights to uh, 2008-born forward Kai Anderson, a second-round pick in 2024, and a third-round pick in 2025. So just kind of Lethbridge is kind of shuffling some pieces, lots of shuffling around pieces there, especially with older players there in Lethbridge. Just kind of how did how did you uh, guys evaluate what uh, the job that uh, Peter Anholt did there in Lethbridge? Well, they also added uh, Hayden Packler, right? I I can't remember uh, if he said that. Uh, I that that's right. I just ha- I was I wasn't at that point on the list yet. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. No, just adding uh, Packler as well. And I got to see the uh, Hurricanes last week. They split a series with the Tigers, and they, you know what? I think they added kind of the right guys that they need. More not game breakers per se, but depth. And Sean Chagall adds another element there. He's going to win a lot of faceoffs for the Hurricanes on both sides of the puck, and. I spoke to Bill Peters after Saturday's game. It was a hurricane loss, but it was a close one. And he just said that they need some time to maybe find their rhythm and after that and play their way. And they're going to have some success. And I don't disagree. I think they're going to be able to maybe work their way up the standings a little bit, get out of seventh there uh, and just kind of climb and get ready for that playoff run. But it was a lot of moves for Pete Anholt and uh, some tidy business. He didn't really, I don't believe he moved a single pick that belonged originally to the Hurricanes. If there was, it wasn't a high one. They were all ones that he had acquired in previous trades, from what I remember. I was fascinated with what they did, just because when you have the Chase Paul steal, you go, okay, this that's what Lethbridge is going to do. But then you bring in Chagall for the second and the third, and you go, hmm. Then you send the second and the third for Sidor, and you go, hmm. Okay, so they're going that direction. Then they send Tyson Zimmer to Vancouver, and you go, well, wait, that's almost like the Chase Pauls deal. So I asked Dustin Forbes when I talked to him about it, and he said that Peter Anholt just wanted his team to be harder to play against. 
And I get that. That's something that the Hurricanes teams traditionally over the years, almost kind of like a Red Deer style, seem to be very, very difficult to play against. Is that something you've seen from them, James? Yes. it's. <laughs> I don't think any team has fun nights playing against Lethbridge. They're going to be hard to play against um, offensively, defensively. They just they want to wear you down and eventually find their spot, and they found the right guys to help them do that. And just to speak about uh, Hayden Pack a little bit, because I I see him, I saw him a lot in uh, in Prince Albert. Like he was key key cog in that Raider Raider power play. Like Curtis Hunt spoke at a season ticket bre- breakfast uh, the day after the trade deadline, and the, he kind of spoke is that they have a lot of guys currently there that they would like to give a little bit more opportunity at the center position and that's why he felt comfortable moving Hayden Pakala to Lethbridge and like he slots in on that third line in Lethbridge and I bet you he's going to play a lot on that penalty kill for the Hurricanes just as he did in Prince Albert and little funny story about him is that uh, last year we did at the Raider Awards Banquet is uh, we they had the Truett Awards which is where uh, Jeff Truett pr- pr- presented an assortment of different awards to uh different people like you can ask rob man about this next time you see him perry but uh, rob was the recipient of the punctuality award because he almost missed the bus in brandon like he was like five minutes late for the bus or whatever and jeff told the driver that uh as soon as he comes out roll the bus forward (laughs) because he got a little bit turned around in brandon or winnipeg last year and uh that's how Rob got the, the punctuality award at the Truett Awards last year. And then uh, Hayden Pakala was the winner of the Congeniality Award, which congeniality, if you look at it on Google, according to Mer- Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is friendly concern, interest, and support. And as they presented him with this award, they showed a video compilation of him getting in guys' faces. So <laughs> he's He's... Very, very much a guy that's difficult to play against, and that kind of adds to what uh, Peter Anholt is kind of was kind of building there in Lethbridge. So they do feel, and you mentioned the Raiders, and I don't want to deviate too much, Nathan, but it does feel like for them, they're holding that final playoff spot, uh, one point up of Calgary. They need. It feels like they need that playoff experience this year, and to make that spot and. Whether they go far or not, it's going to be a tough year for the Raiders in the playoffs. But I think it's kind of a – I don't know if you've heard, but it feels like they need that experience this year. It would be a very positive for uh, their growth. That, that's the expe- that was the expectation from from day one in Prince Albert this year was to make – they wanted to be a playoff team. And sure, the Raiders, the only real deal at the deadline they made was getting rid of uh, – I don't want to say getting rid of, but giving Pakla more opportunity in Lethbridge there. But uh, I think the big trade deadline acquisition for this club is going to be Ryder Ritchie. He, I know he's a guy already on the roster, but you got to—he took—he took a bad hit against Kelowna there at home last game before Christmas, and he's been missing time since then. And uh, this again, this was another thing that uh, Curtis Hunt spoke at at that season ticket holder breakfast here got about a week ago now. But uh, the, the family decided to keep their 17-year-old son at home to rehab the injury 
at home with uh, the supports he has there. And uh, the last update Curtis had, and this is about a week ago, is that he was skating, and the the goal for him right now is to is to be ready to go for the for the top prospects game. That's what they're shooting for, and uh, so they should should have Richie back in the lineup. I would hope by the end of the month, and then from there he'll just he'll slot in nicely on that on that top line and. If he gets if he gets hot, he can he can carry the team scoring wise for for a little while. And I'm not saying that they need him to do that, but he's just another key guy to have in your lineup that uh, opponents will have to make a game plan for. And that just makes your that just makes your team better. Well, I saw the Raiders on Sunday, and he's such a dynamic presence, and you really really notice his absence. And. Their power play was not real good that day, and that's probably a big part of why. And also, they have on the shelf right now is uh, their 17-year-old Czech import, uh, Matej Kubiesa. And like he brings a little bit more speed, a little bit more skill into that lineup. And uh, not to credit a guy like Dace Durkacz, who was getting an opportunity um, to play in in the lineup in, in Brandon and, in, and this, uh, this past weekend, but... Uh, He's also uh, someone that adds a little bit more something to that uh, forward core, and those those two guys, when once they're back in the lineup, will be, uh, I guess, almost the deadline additions for the Prince Albert Raiders. Do you want to? Um, should we talk about the biggest move at the deadline then, or do you want to keep going through the timeline? Hey, uh, I do have one deal I want to talk about. Online yeah. people always have these convoluted eleven team trades that they think should happen. And it was kind of fun to actually see a three-team trade on deadline day, wasn't it? Between Edmonton, Cologne, and Saskatoon. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, before I've I've covered it's a three-team trade. I'm sure you have two pair. It's not that it. Man, your story length just got like exponentially longer, including all the details. But they are fun to look at. Yeah. So I'll explain it for the listeners at home, so they don't have to have to fire up the old Google machine if they're on the road or whenever they decide to listen to our podcast. But uh, Saskatoon sends a second-round pick in 2024 to Kelowna. A, a 2024 second-round pick and a 2026 fourth-round pick. Both of those are going to the Kelowna Rockets. And a second-round pick in 2026 is going to the Edmonton Oil Kings. Kelowna sends John sends 19-year-old defenseman John Babcock to the Saskatoon Blades. They also send, I think this is Ishmael Ab- Abagush. I hope I'm saying that right. I ask for forgiveness if I'm butchering these names. He's going to the Edmonton Oil Kings. Um, Edmonton sends Carter Kowalik to the Kelowna Rockets along with a fourth-round pick in 2025 to the Rockets. So Saskatoon picks up a defenseman that they needed out of that uh, trade. Um, Edmonton gets a, gets a younger blue liner because I believe Abagosh is a year younger than uh, Carter Kowalik is. And uh, the thing about Abagosh is I think he was, a, if I recall, he was a very, very late selection in the WHL prospects draft. So that's why I've kind of kept my eye on him because he was 
one of those late round picks that uh, has has made it to the Western League, and obviously, I think the big the big addition here, I think, is Saskatoon picking up John Babcock. He'll be huge on their blue line. You know, like you said, nineteen year old. I think he's got a little bit of sandpaper in his game. I can't wait to see Saskatoon again with all their pieces. Now, they're uh, they're going to be fun, and actually, so is Moose John now. Now that I've already seen Swift, I want to see the top three contenders again. And yeah, we'll, we'll, that's the next home game, I guess, for the Prince Albert Raiders is on the 26th here. And they won't be the Prince Albert Raiders. They'll be the Prince Albert Cobra Chickens. So I guess I'll, I'll derail the podcast here and ask you guys both this question. I'll start with you, Perry, since Brandon was the Wheat City walleye for a game. What do you think about the one-night rebrand trend across the WHL that we've seen with like the Lake Diefenbaker Slough Sharks, the Prince Albert Cobra Chickens, Wheat City Walleye. Just what are your thoughts on that, uh, on, on that uh, trend that we're seeing more and more teams do here? Well, I'm kind of old and grumpy. So my first thought is, Oh no, what are they doing? And then I think who has more fun than minor league baseball teams? Like for instance, the Macon Whoopi, like what a great name. They have a lot of fun. So why not? You know, do it for a night. I get a little tired of all, like the radio broadcasts are calling them by these names and that. I think that's maybe taking it a step too far. To me, the uniforms and that are enough. But I don't know. I guess I get it. Like, I think Brandon has sold a lot of Wheat City walleye hats and shirts. So there's certainly that angle to it, too. So I, I completely agree with Perry. I, at first I was kind of like, really, do we have to do all this extra stuff? But why not? It is it's kind of cool and it changes things up. And you know what? Each home team gets 34 games a year. And if 34 games, like, I don't think you can just have 34 games the exact same and entertain everyone. And I just don't think that works anymore. And I think this is one way to combat that. And it also just, changes things up and frankly it's a money maker from everything i've heard for teams it's a good way to make money and we hear how hard it is to make money and to stay afloat and do all these extra things but make the money and show a little initiative and kind of let you care i don't know there's some teams in this league that just won't do stuff like that uh they won't go that extra mile but it is kind of nice to see the ones that do and i this is back from when i was with uh in my Lethbridge days, but uh, for one night in the, I believe it was the 21-22 season, is the Hurricanes wore a Lethbridge Bulls theme, themed uniform. And then the following summer, the Bulls wore a Lethbridge Hurricanes themed uniform. And I think that's really great for those teams, just kind of recognizing the other teams in, in the community, even if they play in different seasons and stuff. Like I remember they had... Jet Jones and Joe Arntzen at the ballpark that night and and whatnot. So I think it's good for those, at least in that kind of marketing sense, for those teams to recognize each other. Who knows? Maybe we'll see the the Saskatoon Berries wear a Saskatoon Blades jersey because they're owned by the same ownership group there in Saskatoon. You never know. But I, would, I think... Would not surprise me. After I, the banana night they did last, was it last season, I believe? I would not be done. surprised. Yeah. To see a, a grapes or berries. They've done the Saskatoon bananas, I think, for like a couple years now, two or three years now, and they 
and every time they they talk about the Saskatoon Bananas, they call them they call themselves the only undefeated team in WHL history, the Saskatoon Bananas. And I don't know, but that just drives that I that I don't know. I don't. I get you're having fun with it, but I not I'm not a fan of advertising yourself as that. <laughs> It's a pretty this cool might claim. be a, a little too inside baseball for your listeners, but in all the stories that I wrote in the week ahead, I called them the Brandon Wheat Kings. And then in the second or third graph, I'd say, you know, who have rebranded as the Wheat City Walleye for the week. So that's how I handled it. You I know, like it. Ultimately, that's who they are. It doesn't matter what they're calling themselves this week. That's what their fans see them as. And actually, it's funny, the... Uh, Messages that I got from the fans, there's almost a bit of a generation gap there. You get the grumpy older folks like me, and then you get the the younger ones who are kind of all right into it. Yeah, I guess we'll – we talked about the three-team trade. I thought it was interesting is that we're seeing teams – like the one deal that kind of fascinated me, the Spokane Chiefs are buyers as <laughs> they picked up Shea Van Olm from the Kamloops Blazers in exchange for Cole Wadsworth, a 2026 second and a 2025 third. Just Spokane's kind of right there in the, in the Western conference. They're a single point back of the Tri-City Americans for, and have a game in hand on the Tri-City Americans for the final eighth and final playoff spot in the Western conference, given it's pretty, it's pretty tight there. Seventh, seven through nine right now with, as there's only two points between Vancouver and Spokane, just kind of, I wasn't expecting to see a move like that. I thought all these teams would try to hold par for the course, but uh, I guess Van Ohm can come back as a 20 year old next year as well, which is a big part of this trade. Just what did you guys think of, uh, I guess we'll start with you, Perry, just kind of what did, what did, what do you think about seeing like a kind of fringe team, like, Spokane that's kind of right on that playoff bubble making making an addition like this I thought it was actually a lot like Vancouver did where they're maybe adding guys for the rest of this year and to be their overagers to me Spokane I called them one of the Cinderella teams coming into this season I thought they had a real chance of making a significant jump up to standings and I'm not completely sure why that hasn't happened just because I haven't watched them on a regular basis. I watch them here and there on WHL Live. Maybe they think that, you know, if they get into the dance, anything can happen. Although even in the Western Conference, where we don't see those teams as often, the top couple of teams are probably going to, actually probably the top three are going to be pretty strong teams. So you almost have to get the four or five slot to go anywhere. Yeah, those top three teams at the moment are the Prince George Cougars, the Everett Silvertips, and the Portland Winterhawks. But keep in mind that Everett's in second place right now, but Portland has a whopping five games in hand on Everett and are only two points back of the Silvertips. So I think, assuming Portland maintains the winning percentage they have, I'm guessing Portland's going to end up finishing with that two seed, just given that point difference. Um, But yeah, I think... Because here's the thing, they have a guy like Berkeley Catton, who's we. I don't have to sit here and tell you how good of a hockey player Berkeley Catton is, but you only have a a guy like that 
he's got a limited shelf life in the Western Hockey League, right? Like, sure, he's in his 17-year-old season this year, but if he goes high enough in the draft and to the and a right team fit, does he maybe make the NHL as an 18 or 19 year old? That's a, I'd be that's... surprised to see him make the jump, but I know Jim, like it is it is possible. We've seen crazier things. I don't think Zach Benson was expected to make the NHL this season and stick there, and Cole Sillinger two years ago wasn't either. But yeah, yeah. it's um, if you're Spokane, you're uh, man, it's going to be a, a, a nervous little start to next season when he's at the NHL training camp. You, you and you got to surround when you have a guy like that. You got to surround him with quality talent while you have him, right? And that's probably that's I think where Regina failed a little bit is that sure they had some great a couple of great players, but they just didn't have enough of that uh, enough of a team really to capitalize on the window they had with Connor Bedard. And I think and Spokane, I I still think has a lot more assets and stuff, mainly from the bullpit and sword trades with uh, the aforementioned Winnipeg Ice last year. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought that move was interesting. I guess we'll keep on moving down the timeline here. Swift oh, Current. Before we move on, isn't yeah. it crazy that Seattle's only played 36 games and Everett's played 44? I was thinking, like, it, I don't understand how. Do you know why that's happened, Perry? Because it's, it's been that way all season. They've played very few games. I, think... I honestly don't know. It, okay. It struck me as weird. Like an eight game difference between teams in the same conference. That's a little overdone in my estimation anyway. And, and how's that going to be made up? Like, ooh. Yeah. They're going to be playing some four and fives over and over again here coming down the stretch. Yeah. And that might not be given where Seattle is right now in the standings. Seattle is 10th place in the in the Western Conference standing. So if they don't play well during those stretches, and because I was having this conversation earlier, like if the season ended today, I know Seattle's played way less games, but uh, it would be, if the season ended today from previous trade, from previous trades, the Everett Silver Tips and the Prince Albert Raiders would have the best odds at the first overall pick in the 2024 draft with the way the league operates the lottery. <laughs> So I just want to just just wanted to to float that fact out there that uh, like Kamloops and Seattle aren't having the greatest seasons and their top picks are going to be in other teams' possessions here this season and Kamloops for the foreseeable future. Um, but moving on, Swift Current may added a over Tyson Galloway from the Calgary Hitmen. For a second and third round pick in 2026, and then they they moved to make room for a 20 year old Tyson Laventure is off to the Victoria Royals for a fifth round pick in 2026. Um, that that's another deal on deadline day, and then uh, yeah, I guess we'll kind of talk about that the overage situation. We'll we'll stay in the Eastern Conference a little bit more with uh, with the Swift Current Broncos bringing in a guy like Tyson Galloway. I think their blue line. You have to be like six foot three to play on that blue line. Now it seems because a lot of their guys are men on that blue line, at least physically. But uh, just kind of how did how do you think this this move will help Swift Current come playoff time? Having a, having a Tyson Galloway compared to a Tyson Laventure. Well, to start with, I thought Tyson Laventure played very very well in Swift. I think he's a good player, but obviously you bring in Geeky 
and you only have so many spots on the power play. And perhaps you're thinking if we can get one more big defenseman, because big defensemen never go out of style. They were great when I was playing goal back in the day, and they're great now. I think Tyson Galloway is going to be real important because you have to be able to play that defensive hockey once you get to the playoffs. You know, it's too bad they have to give up Tyson LaVenture because I enjoyed watching him when they came to Brandon, although they're done coming to Brandon for the year. Um, to me, that was a good move. It does. It is showing up that decor and Swift and I got to see them last night here in Medicine Hat, as Nathan alluded to. And yeah, it's they're they became a lot tougher to play against, like physically tougher. They were always a hard team to play against, but now it's any team that gets Swift in the playoffs, whether they win or lose that series, you're going to be banged up coming out of that one. Lots of bruises, lots of ice packs uh, going against that decor. And I think it's might be the, the the sneaky pickup of the deadline by the Victoria Royals, giving up only a fifth-round pick for a 20-year-old that's going to step in and, and contribute. I mean, they made another sneaky good a- acquisition with, with your Brandon Wheat Kings earlier this year, Perry, picking up Dawson Pasternak, who's been very good for for, for them this year out on the, west, on the West Coast there. But again, it's another very sneaky acquisition by the Victoria Royals, picking up a 20-year-old that could have some impact for them come playoff time for not a lot. Just to explain the Pasternak deal, what happened was they had uh, Caden Sadra Kang, so there's one of your 20s. You have Brett Highland, who's in Washington camp after being drafted as a 19-year-old, and he has a chance to get a pro job. And then you have Dawson Pasternak come to camp with an injured back, and he can't skate at all. So Marty Murray is looking at his lineup going, holy smokes, this is bad. Because what happens if we get neither of these two? So they pick up Jaden Weens from Saskatoon. And Jaden Weens is he's just a delight to be around. He's a nice, nice kid. Very popular in the dressing room. So then Brett Highland comes back. And then all of a sudden you have Weens, Highland, Sadra Kang, who of course now is uh, Jackson D'Souza because they made a one-on-one deal there. So they ultimately decided that Pasternak was the odd man out because they just weren't sure how much he was going to play this season with that, with the bad back, because anybody who has ever had a bad back knows, you know, you might be having a good day and then you might bend over to pick up something and have a back spasm and be out three weeks. Yeah. But so, so thank you for that. But I just think from a pure hockey move, it was a, it was a bargain bin pickup because arguably with the, the with the twenty year old situation in Brandon, like like you described, Perry, they might not have been able to get like if Dawson Pasternak was if there was no concerns around Dawson Pasternak at the time. Obviously, the Jade Weens trade doesn't get made, and he's probably still a Brandon Wheat King. But one hundred percent, because I think he's a Manitoba guy as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Winnipegger. But he's made the most of the his health has been great, which is what you love to see. You don't see a guy get moved like that and hope he does. He's not healthy, right? Um, and he's made the most of that opportunity with in Victoria. He's played a lot with Cole Reshney, who's been phenomenal. He's been one of my f- favorite players to watch this season. It's Cole Reshney in Victoria. If you haven't watched him, 
much Victoria Royal hockey. You need to watch some Victoria Royal hockey just to see Cole Reshny play. Um, but that's, Those two have a lot of chemistry. And that's been a big reason why. And Pasternak's been a big reason why Reshny has been about a point-per-game guy as a true 16-year-old in this league. I think he's the... I, if I recall, he was the only 16-year-old dressed for the Royals when they played the Raiders at uh, at the Art Hauser Center earlier earlier this month. So that tells you how good and how highly the the team thinks of him there. Um, other, let's move move on. Another deal on deadline day: Connor Levis to the Vancouver Giants. For a first-round pick in 2025, second-round pick in 24, and a fourth-round pick in 2026. So another move for Kamloops here, making uh, recouping assets that they uh, got rid of from the Zellweger trade. And I believe this gives them three picks in that uh, 2025 first round now, if I'm not mistaken, considering they, uh, they had the one from the Lindgren Masters trade from... Red Deer, the Minton trade, and now the Levis trade. So there you go. The Kamloops Blazers slowly but surely recouping assets there. I mean, kind of, I feel bad, a little bit bad for those fans in Kamloops, though, because they had, it's just been such a shock from how good of a team they were last year to all of a sudden you're, you're trading all of your better players. Like Minton's gone, Levis is gone. That's got to be tough as a fan, especially with, how short of a time it's been since you were the the top dog in that BC division. Welcome to today's WHL. Yeah, there's no one. Man, the consequences of my actions suck. Oh, crazy. Yeah, but uh, I guess we'll move on to... We'll talk about what the Medicine Hat Tigers made a couple trades on deadline day. Uh, I'll mention both of them, then we'll throw the floor to you, James. Colby Gapter off to Vancouver for eighth round pick in 2026. And then I think I called this second trade a while ago, but Evan may, I predict, I correctly predicted. I didn't want to, for clarity's sake, I had no inside sources from James or anybody else with the Tigers that this was going to happen. I just, I just made an educated guess on this one, but uh, Evan may to the Moose Jaw Warriors for a third round pick in 2027. Just, just kind of when when you had a chance to to talk to the Tigers there, just kind of what did they think about uh, those trades that happened on deadline day? Yeah, um, just going in the order you brought it up. The Colby Gapper trade was just about getting a uh, younger guy some playing time. Um, the Tigers signed a seventeen-year-old midseason Jack Kachkowski. He kind of took that future role that Gapter would have had, so that kind of sparked that trade. And um, it was a little shocking and a little frustrating to see. Vancouver welcoming uh, Gapter and misspelling his name. You don't see that very often, but they uh, stuck by it. And, um, you know, what a way to start your new tenure with a new team. But, uh, and then the Evan May trade, it was kind of the, I mean, it made the most sense. You're trading, you have a 19 year old goaltender, an 18 year old, and a 17 year old. The 17 year old and the 18 year old are playing the best. So you go young. This is a developmental league at the end of the day. So, Evan May uh, was a good Tiger here. He's a good kid, really good kid. Um, I think that kind of gets lost a lot of times when fans and people around the league or outside of the league just look at numbers, right? They forget about the kids, and he was one of the good ones here in this league, and now he gets to go try to win a championship in Moose Jaw, and the Tigers 
finally got their answer to the three-goalie system. Three-headed monster. They keep Zach Sahara. They keep uh, Brandon's own Ethan McCallum. And those two have kind of taken the reins here. They've been a tandem before with the South Alberta Hockey Academy at the U18 level. And now they get to try their hand at uh, being a tandem at the uh, the U20 level at the WHL. I thought this was a great deal for Moose Jaw. As well as Jackson Unger has played, to have that yeah. backup, I, I, you know, you again, if you go on a long playoff run, you are a pulled groin away from everything falling apart if you don't have a veteran backup. Yeah, no, that's you. And I, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it doesn't Unger have the most games or most minutes played in the league. And this is just that backup that he gets. And, He's the younger of the two. I believe he's 18. So now he gets that backup and that knowledge of he doesn't have to be perfect and he doesn't have to play every night uh, from Moose Jaw. And he, he's going to play a lot more when he's fresh down the stretch, which who knows maybe leads to him being better down the stretch if he gets if he has a guy like Evan May to to play with, right? Like, that's the, like Max Hildebrand has been great for Prince Albert all year long, but that's that might be the one thing, and I hope this doesn't happen, but if he, as Perry mentions, pulls a groin or whatever down the stretch here, you got Nathan, your your number, your backup netminder right now is Nathan Preston, who has played a grand total of one game in the Western Hockey League, which was in Brandon just recently here. So that's it, that's that's a great move by, by Mushad to... to to get a good insurance policy, you don't you don't need Evan May to go in there and be the guy. You you need him to come in there and, and say, okay, Evan, we we need you to play this many games for us down the stretch. And if you can win five, six, seven games for us down the stretch, awesome. That's what that's what they need out of that's what Moose Jaw needs out of Evan Evan May. They're not getting him to be the dude over Unger because I think Unger has more than established himself as as a good starting goaltender in this league this season. Which is nice to see because there was a lot of talk, uh, I know, heading into the season, there was question marks around, would Moose Jaw go out and get a goalie with Daniel Hauser being available or seemingly available out of Wenatchee, obviously not traded. but And it was really nice to see Jackson take the reins. Connor Unger, different spelling, different, different family. Last year had the reins for Moose Jaw, now it goes to Jackson and He's ran with it. So you always like to see that uh, young guys getting that. And yeah, it's uh, he's really uh, took his job, and he knows what uh, – it's obviously a really good team there in Moose Jaw. He gets to showcase his abilities here uh, with a lot of scouts in the in the building. And and I thought – I swore they were brothers last year because they're both from Calgary. They're both <laughs> from Calgary. One Unger is spelled G-E-R and one is G-A-R. Other than other than if that spelling was the same, I'm like you can't convince me these guys aren't like related or cousins, at the very at the very very minimum. But no, they are not related. Just a massive coinky dink. Um, I guess we'll start with. I guess we'll go to Brandon now, and Evan, the major move. Evan Groening to the Prince George Cougars for a tenth round pick. That's that's the one you're talking about, right, Perry? <laughs> it's actually his family pronounces it greening greening uh, i apologize so evan had been playing with the verdon oil capitals of the manitoba junior hockey league 
I think he just needed a little more ice. So Brandon sent him to the oil capitals who now have five guys who've been sent back from Western hockey league teams. What are the odds of that? Needless to say, they're doing pretty well in the MJHL this year. So they sent him to PG for the 10th rounder in 27. And when I asked Marty Murray about it, he said, you know what? It was just a chance for him to play. Brandon has some young forwards coming in next year. Evan would be entering his 19-year-old season. He probably would have been in tough. By the sounds of things, Prince George is going to leave him in Verdon and uh, bring him into camp next year. There you go. So and then the, big deal. And then this, you'll have to tell us a little bit more about this Nate Danielson. Nate, Nate Danielson going to Portland for 18-year-old forward Nick Johnson. Nicholas Johnson, Nick Johnson. 18-year-old Birch Hills, Saskatchewan product, Rhett Ravendahl, two first-round picks and a fifth-round pick. I think that that's the major deal you were talking about. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to miss Nate. Nate was another one of these kids. He When he came in, I got to know him when he was 15. So quiet. And he just sort of started to open up and blossom a little bit as he got older, as so many of these guys do. And I'll tell you what. I was in the Keystone Center at Westoba Place, of course, when Marty Murray told the team about the deal. And I saw the players come out. And anyone who is happy about junior hockey players getting traded isn't there to see the tears. You know, that's just as simple as it is. Um, what does Brandon get? Oh, before we do that, I want to point out one thing. The last time that Brandon traded a captain was Tanner Caspic. That was in 2018 when he went to Victoria. So they had Victoria's pick in the 2019 draft first rounder. They, it's a convoluted story. They flipped that pick to Kelowna along with a player. They moved up to the fifth overall spot. And who did they pick but Nate Danielson? Oh, my God. Who then becomes the <laughs> next captain to be traded. So when's wow. that when's that trade tree running in the in the Brandon Sun Perry? Well, you don't think that I'd mention that. <laughs> and uh, the other guy that they got out of the Caspic trade, well, they got um, Ty Thorpe, who they sent to Vancouver after three seasons. They got three seasons of uh, Johnny Lambos, and the pick they got back for him, I believe it was was the one they used to pick up their top goaltending prospect. And then, of course, they get uh, Charlie Alec out of that trade, who is going to the prospects game. So if the prospect, the goaltending prospect, played when he was 20, he would be in the league in the 28-29 season for a deal made in 2018. Let that percolate for a second. And, and, here, and here's something you could ask Charlie about... Uh... Next time you see him, Perry, he was actually he was actually one hell of a ball player. I I saw him play when he was thirteen. I watched him play in a him play as a thirteen year old, and he was big kid, but he was he was hitting the middle of the lineup for his team, and he was a starting shortstop. So that kind of tells you what play, what kind of baseball player Charlie Alec is. I think I don't think he's regretting going the going the hockey route given if he gets selected by an NHL team here, but uh, he he was a he was a talented multi-sport athlete before the Brandon Wheat Kings called his name. I'll, also, I'll just leave it at that. 
Ridley Gregg was too. Oh he yeah. Was provincial oh, team yeah. level back in the day. Now so many of these kids are 12 month hockey players. And I hate that. Uh, I miss the days when a kid played hockey in the winter and went and played ball in the summer. Brandon uh, used to have kind of a, a little slow pitch game or something as one of their camp things just to get to know each other. But they were having kids getting the hit in the face with balls and there was all kinds of things going on because they don't play ball anymore. So I'm not sure they're doing that one anymore. So here's he, so this shows you how how small the Western Hockey League truly is. Is that um when Ridley Gregg would have been I think he would have been 14. He he played at the Junior Little League Canadian Championships in Lethbridge. They won and got to go to Taylor, Michigan. There was another player on that team. He was the catcher. His walk I rem- I don't know why I remember this, but his walk-up song was Pour Some Sugar on Me. But uh the catcher on that team was Brayden Peters, who obviously was a great goaltender for the Calgary Hitmen as well. So, and the head, the head coach of that team was uh, Todd Hubka, who's been the longtime coach with the Prairie Baseball Academy in Lethbridge. So, I joke I joke with him whenever I see him. I joke with him a little bit because he's he's coached a player that's made it to the to the, to the major league ranks in uh, Saskatchewan's own Dustin Mulliken. He's coached a player who's made it to the NHL ranks in Ridley Gregg. So I'm just asking him when the football player and when the basketball player are going to come. <laughs> so for you, Perry, just that, sorry, just the, the Danielson trade, like, is it something did it surprise? It came to me. It came a surprise to me when I saw that, uh, the rumors came up about it. Was it something that you were expecting heading into the deadline, like pre-Christmas or anything like that? Or how did you kind of, uh, I guess, how did that trade come to you, I guess? Don't think it was the biggest shock in the league. You know, there are rumors that he was going to Portland before Christmas when he was away at the World Juniors. Now, what I want to caution people with is the fact that there were eight teams bidding for his services or at least kicking tires. And they had several big offers. They made the decision to go with Portland at the last minute. So anyone who said that it was fait accompli, you know, around Christmas just doesn't know. They were guessing. So what Brandon ends up getting is a pair of 18 year olds and Nick Johnson forward, uh, Rhett Ravendahl defenseman, actually, I met the two guys a couple hours ago for the first time. Uh, Nick Johnson had been nursing a lower body injury. He is back skating now. Uh, They get the first rounder in 25, the first rounder in 27, and then the fifth rounder in 26. When I looked at this deal, I went, okay, probably Brandon is going to be entering another upswing in the next year or two. And a pick in 25 and a pick in 27, to me, that's ammunition. You know, if you want to upgrade your own team, then you have those kind of in the piggy bank. And they didn't have the ability to do that. Like Marty Murray in our interviews after the deadline said he was actually kicking some tires too about potentially adding players. But if you, like, I guess if you needed to add 
a forward and a defenseman like teams used to do 20 years ago, that wasn't too bad. But if you needed three or four players, it was so cost prohibitive. And it just didn't make a lot of sense when you think your team's best days are ahead of you. Does that make sense? Sounds like the uh, the window opens for Brandon in 2026. And where is the Mem Cup going to be in 2026, Perry? Is it in the WHL? Yeah. Oh. Okay, so it's uh, Ontario. It is, yes. Yeah, it is. I'm back. just being <laughs> just being facetious. That's that's the uh, Brandon's the one city I've heard rumored uh, in on the the Mem Cup, and it seems like that's when their window's starting to line up. I have to double check when the bar, when, if I don't think it's going to be ready, but if the new barn was open in Prince Albert in 2026, I don't think it will be. I don't think they've broken ground on it yet. That might be later this year. When that's break. another team who's going to be in a good spot in 2026. Yeah. Because, like, can you just imagine how, like, the genius of Curtis Hunt? Because he got the first overall pick from the Kane Gooley trade. Trade like he's traded this this season was the first time in three years he hasn't traded his 19 year old defenseman who was also the captain of his hockey team because he did it with Kane and Gooley he did it with Nolan Allen could you imagine if he gets a first overall pick from both the Kane and Gooley and Nolan Allen deals like fantastic especially with especially with who many are saying is going to be far down the first the first overall pick in this year's draft and that's being landed dupont who from from all signs is one of one of the best offensive defensemen prospects coming into this league arguably ever if not for a long 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 time so yeah but that's but but that's Something, something interesting, and I guess moving down the stretch, I guess we can more so focus on to the, to the stretch run here for all our three teams, and I guess we'll start with you, uh, James. What are, what's, what are kind of the storylines or specifics you are looking forward to watching about the Tigers just as we get down the stretch here closer to the playoffs? Well, I, like the biggest thing for the Tigers right now is health, and it's kind of something they avoided all season besides Braden Bame uh, being out indefinitely with a lower body injury and November, he got hit uh, kind of awkwardly against Prince George, knocked him out. You know, Caden Lindstrom's out four to six weeks. We learned that on uh, Monday from um, Willard Jordan. And then just seeing Andrew Basha battling a little bit, he got cut. He got kind of stepped on, actually, against Spokane. And he's been dealing with that ever since. But that'll be the biggest thing for the Tigers now, is staying healthy and trying to maintain the top of the Central Division. They uh, they kind of want – they. Obviously, like all teams do, they want to win that division and set themselves up for the playoffs. But that'll be kind of the next thing is staying healthy and just staying consistent, learning ways to win. That's the big focus right now, it seems like, uh, for that group. And obviously, Gavin McKenna has turned it on here in the second half. And it's kind of he's hit that 50 game plateau and he's only 10 points off a scoring lead. He's got seven fewer games played, I believe. Then Tarek Parasak, who's in first, and he's a year younger, well, almost two years younger than Parasak. And, yeah, it's uh, that's going to be just as interesting as seeing uh, McKenna in the Rookie of the Year race. Yeah, I guess I'll throw the same thing to you, Perry, about what are you what are you looking forward to seeing out of these Brandon Wheat Kings down the stretch? 
To me, the biggest thing is the rebuilding of their blue line. They only have Quinn Manti left from three seasons ago, I guess. So like they have completely rebuilt their group. Um, you know, Jackson D'Souza came in the Sadra Kang deal. Ravendall comes in the Danielson deal. Seth Tansom they pick up from uh, PA for a draft pick. It's that group that really a lot is going to hinge on because Brandon, well, you guys have seen Brandon. They're a run-and-gun team, although they also apparently lead the CHL in fighting majors, which is another story. But uh, they've got a Matt really- well, yeah, except Matt's gone for eight games right now for his latest uh, crimes against humanity, apparently. Um, what do you think of that suspension, Perry? If you want to talk about it or willing to talk about it, uh, it's a lot of games. Obviously, repeat offender plays into it, but uh, how do you look at that eight games for Matt Henry? I guess what's happened is that he's had three two-game suspensions in a little over two months. And finally, the league just threw their hands up in the air and went, okay we're going to get rid of our problem for a while. And I, you know what? You, you can do the mental calculus on that so that it makes sense. I guess that's what I think. Matt's disappointed. I, I chatted with him after the game on Sunday, just for a minute, just in passing. Uh, he's, an yeah. interesting, he's an interesting kid. And uh, I want you guys to think about the guys you've covered. He's the only kid I've ever covered in the WHL who had a part-time job. Yeah, I love that story. <laughs> I remember you told you told us that I think the last time you were on, or I remember yeah. you seeing you tweet about it. No, it's awesome. He's uh, he's definitely an interesting kid, and yeah, no, I love that story. Yeah, nineteen year old, so this could be his swan song in the league because it's going to be tough with his skill set probably to play as a twenty unless somebody wants you to come in and do a job. But it, you know, it's it's tough to. Uh, to keep somebody in that role as an overager. Where's he from, Perry? Like, where's his PA? Where's he? PA. Yeah, he's from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Yeah, even though I don't think he ever played for the Mittos, I think he ended up playing for the Battleford Stars, and then he ended up in the SJ with them, and then to Brandon is, I think, the pathway he took. Is that he like played in Prince Albert, but when it got to the the U eighteen AAA, he had to go play in the Battlefords, and then he was a year there with. And then he played U18 and one year in the SJ there before he went to Brandon, if I recall. If I recall my Matt Henry history yeah. well enough. Yeah. Um, Maybe he could go down the road and play for Saskatoon next season uh, after they uh, – and it would, could be a down season for Blades. I think that if you're Brandon, you are trading him as far from Brandon as you can. Mm-hmm. It's a very good point. Didn't think about that part. <laughs> Just think yeah, of he's the fan favorite. He would be down in the American division. Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. Or uh, put him on CHL overage waivers and see who wants him. Yeah, yeah. Because Some like team. we we ended up with Trevor Thur- like we waived Trevor Thurston last season, and he ended up picking getting picked up by the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. <laughs> so you would want probably given I don't know if. Matt's skill set would be the greatest fit in the QMJHL, considering their stance on fighting. But and that's something that Matt Matt at least brings that threat every night that you have that you got to be on your best behavior. He's not afraid to, to to tell you what he thinks of your play with his fists. But uh, 
Yeah, that that would, that would be the situation Brandon would probably be hoping for if that scenario did did arise. Something interesting he told me one time. I was talking to him and I said, "So, like, how often are you mad at the guys you're you're fighting?" And it's not very often. And the interesting part of this is he actually has a lot of respect for the guys who stand up and will fight with him. Now, I'm not the biggest fighting fan in the world anymore. I think that its days are numbered in WHL as well. And I can just hear the shrieks coming out the other side of uh, <laughs> of some computers. I think that that day is going to come for sure. You know, it started with a queue and probably the CHL one day will mandate it across major junior hockey. But I agree. Uh, yeah, it's I still don't understand why kids step up to fight them because really, what are you gaining? There's few, I think it's the heavyweights, right, Perry, that want to compare themselves against one another. Medicine Hat has one in Red Parsons. There's Joe Arnson in Lethbridge and obviously Matt Henry and Terrell Goldsmith. Uh, yep. I haven't seen Terrell fight. Uh, I haven't seen him fight this year. I'm not saying he hasn't, just saying I haven't seen him. But uh, I think they all want to compare themselves, right, and try to maybe hold that title of. I don't know, league heavyweight or whatever, but uh, it is like, I don't think an, an average 17, 18 year old is not going to tap uh, Matt Henry on the uh, skate laces. And the, and the other thing for me, I'll just point out something and it makes it exciting. It's just another thing that you can watch as you watch these, like earlier this year. And when the Edmonton oil Kings were here, um, Goldsmith dropped the gloves with Rylan Kovacevic, who Rylan Kovacevic has since been traded to the Moose Jaw Warriors and has played a couple of games here at the Art Hauser Center against Terrell Goldsmith and the Raiders. And honestly, it's fun to watch those those two guys those two guys compete against each other, even if they're not necessarily fighting. Those both of those guys like they're obviously familiar with each other from their scrap earlier this year, and I, there might be history. They're going back a number of years. I'm not sure. But just watching those two guys competing, the way those two guys compete against each other is so much fun to watch because neither of those guys want to give an inch to the other guy. And that's what makes it fun for me for me to watch a, a game with those, those two guys involved when those two guys are on the ice at the same time is that they're going to finish their checks on one, on one, one another if they're they're battling for a puck in the corner or whatever. Neither guy wants to lose it. They're giving it their all. And I don't know. That just makes it extremely fun for me for me to watch anyway. I don't know if you guys share the share a similar sentiment there. I I always like I I prefer at least uh I'd rather five I don't need to see a fight. I'm kind of in Paris boat too. It's I'm losing interest in it maybe isn't the right way to say it, but it's yeah. at the end of the day, these are kids. They're under twenty. I don't really need to see them punch each other to see who can make the other bleed more. Yeah, I'm not saying they need to fight all the time. It's just they're having that them being familiar with each other just just makes it so much more fascinating to watch because they're they're both extremely competitive and they know each other very well obviously after that scrap earlier this year. So, just so just something to to keep in mind if you're watching Moose Jaw versus Prince Albert on CHL live this year, just watching those two guys compete against each other is pretty fun to watch. So, yeah. How do you I, look at um, Nathan? You asked Perry and I, 
what's the storylines for the Raiders here heading in, in uh, the last 20-odd games here before the playoffs? I think for the Raiders, it's going to be getting that experience in a playoff chase because they're one point ahead of Calgary for that eighth and final playoff spot. For them, it's going to be all about getting that experience, getting that experience, and some meaningful hockey games down the stretch. Because even if they're not going to be like there, there are going to be games down the stretch here that could have some playoff type feel to it as they get down the stretch, as they as the games get more important here. Even even in the month of January here, like they they have their final meeting of the season with the Calgary Hitmen coming up this weekend in Calgary. That's going to be a very important game for them. The Raiders have won all three meetings with the Hitmen so far this season, but they they can't can't give Calgary anything right now. So for me, the thing I'm looking forward to watching watching the most is to see how this team answers the call of being in a playoff race. Because any any sport you get in, get into that playoff race down the stretch, it's arguably some of the you watch it. In, I know we're throwing a lot of baseball analogies out on this podcast, but uh, you watch teams competing for that final playoff spot with two, three, four games left in baseball. It's super exciting. Same thing here in the Western league. Like we saw an exciting, they saw an exciting finish here in Prince Albert, not that long ago. And I believe that was the 21 22 season where they finished two points up on three other teams for that eighth and final playoff spot. So I guess that's what I'm looking forward to the most, and I've repeated myself several times in that answer. But <laughs> seeing no worries, that. I can I can tell you covering the Tigers last season and just to now, they talk a lot about what they learned in that run to the playoffs last year, making it in with a win in Game 68, and just what the it took, what they learned, and kind of how you also learn. All right, we've put ourselves in the spot that we need to win every game almost going forward now. Now you realize just how important, which sounds silly, but it, it is a lesson that needs to learn how important points in October and November are when it comes to the middle of March and you're getting ready for the playoffs. There you go. And uh, I know at this time last year, we probably could have sat down and said, uh, it's going to be a Winnipeg-Seattle final. At, at this point last year, we could have said that with a fair degree of confidence. So, uh I think we did. Or did I, we are I might have said Cam Loops. I remember saying I don't know why. Just to be different, I think I said Cam Loops. Because uh, because you thought they were going to get Connor Bedard. I did think they were going to get Connor Bedard. Yeah, uh didn't happen, but no, I think sorry, I interrupted you Nathan, but I think you were going to say it's not as predictable this year and are you going to ask us to try and predict the league finals? Yeah, I was I was, You're I, was a monster. Start, I I was going to say let, let's do let's do this for fun and see how wrong we are and three, four months time. So I guess we'll start with you, Perry. Who do you, who do you like matching up in the, in the, in the final this year? Well, this pretty much dooms them to it not happening. Uh, <laughs> out of the Eastern conference, Saskatoon just doesn't give up goals. And that translates so well to the playoffs. You know, 104 goals against only. That's fantastic. I think well, who knows? Those final two rounds in the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be fascinating this year. But to me, Saskatoon remains the favorite. The Western Conference, 
like Prince George has been everybody's darling all season. And Everett has probably overachieved a little bit. But Portland adding Nate Danielson, maybe it's just because Portland beat Brandon 11 to 1 while I was watching. I think that um, that Mike Johnson team, uh, coach team, sneaks up the middle and you have a Portland Saskatoon final. I'm right there with you. All like you're also saying Saskatoon Portland. Yeah, just like as Perry mentioned, Saskatoon doesn't give up goals. They need that in the playoffs. They've got the talent. They've no. I mean, last year they lost in the it was these finals, right? I believe to Winnipeg, and they know what losing feels like at the high, almost at the peak. And I think they're ready to go back and make it a little bit further. And and then on the west side, Portland, seeing them here, they. That is a team that I think that can go head to head with any team in this league, and they've got guys that can put the puck in the back of the net. Yar Spoonar, uh, when he gets Yar Spoonar, pardon me, when he gets back healthy and fully into it, he's one of, if not the best goalie in this league. And they got even better at Nate Danielson. So yeah, no, I think it's it's those two, and it wouldn't be surprising if other people came out of the East, but I think that's who it's going to be at the end of the day. All, all disappointed. I'll play I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit. I'll go Moose Jaw Prince George is as as a championship uh matchup. Bet bet the over in that series. Oh, that would be a hoot to watch, wouldn't it? The speed <laughs> that series would be played at. Whew. Whiplash. Uh, you get you get uh James Gallo and Cole Waldy there both sounding like they're auctioneers on the air. That's that's how fast the game's going to be played. But uh, sure, I do I, like as we think ahead. Sorry, Nathan, that there is no. It's not cemented. It's a lot of fun actually heading into this second half here. That I don't know who's going to be in the league final. We're making guesses, but it's it's fun. It is. It's going to be very exciting, and the playoffs are just going to be unreal this year. And like the reason I said Moose Jaw, Prince George, is that I feel like the. Pr- Part of me being in Prince Albert has to not want the Blades to be there. The Blades could end up being there. Who knows? But here's the thing is that I think the last two years, Moose Jaw's season has ended at the hands of the Winnipeg Ice. And it took Winnipeg, I believe it was six games to dispatch them in the second round last year. Like they swept Lethbridge in that first round. And then there there was moments they could have taken a... They were they were up in that series at one point in time with some games going into overtime, and you guys know as good as good as any that uh, overtime games can be just a bounce here, a bounce there goes goes against you, and it changes the whole series. And they were right in that series for the most part with Winnipeg last year. So, and you bolster that group with a guy like Matthew Savoy. You pick. I kind of like. I kind of thought the Braden Sherman, Caitlin Parker move was really good for them. I don't know. I just felt like we haven't seen the best that the Moose Jaw Warriors can be yet. And I think maybe their their time to peak is is the playoffs. I know Saskatoon's been kind of that top dog all season long, and they they recently named number one in the CHL top ten rankings here. But I don't know. I just I just have a gut feeling about Moose Jaw. I can't. 
call me Prince Albert biased for not wanting the blades in the final all you want. I just have a feeling Moose Jaw's gonna gonna peak at the right time. So based on what we uh, guessed for the final, welcome <laughs> to your Swift Current Everett final. Oh, yeah. 2018 rematch. Except, imagine the travel. <laughs> well, at the least travels. they they do have the jet that they use. I don't know. Have you guys have you traveled in the final? No, no. Perry. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, sorry. That was rude. I covered an 11 win Medicine Hat Tigers team and then one that got swept in the first round. So, no, I haven't yet. Yeah. Just have you? People some insight. Yeah. I, I went to Seattle in 2016 when Brandon won. So, just to explain to people what happens, because you can't have kids riding buses, you know, from Seattle to Brandon. So, they actually charter a jet. So, what happened was, Seattle was in kind of one side of the Brandon airport and Brandon was in another part. And then the Seattle kids all went in, sat in the back of the plane, the league officials and media sat in the middle. And then Brandon sat at the front of the plane. Those kids didn't even look at each other. You've got the league commissioner and a bunch of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the WHL staff there. You're not going to do anything stupid and get yourself kicked out of the final. So for whatever reason, they flew to Abbotsford and then bust down to Seattle. And then Brandon, after they won in Seattle, bust back to Abbotsford and then flew home. So you just, you can't have kids spending two days on a bus to go play three nights after your last game. You just can't so do that. That's the league that charters that Perry. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't know that. That's, that's wow. That's why we have you on, Barry. The insight. Um, I thought it was teams that had to charter. Like each team had to agree to pay for their own chartered plane. I didn't realize it was a league thing. I mean, it's also kind of nice to hear as a media member that it sounds like media gets on. Or how's that? How did that work for you to get on that plane? Well, you don't think they flew me there for free, do you? Well, um, I understand you have to pay for. Yeah, but okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know, like, I can't tell you that the Wheat Kings didn't end up paying for their share of the flight. Fair. I can't tell you that. But to me, it's a league plane, though. Okay. No, so... I didn't I didn't know that. That's good to know. And that makes sense. I mean, we know what the dangers of bus uh, travel can be, and they don't need to do that for a playoff series, that kind of uh, across-nation or across-North uh, American travel. Well, just so... think it would have been even worse last year with Seattle and Winnipeg. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So the, yeah. so the, the, did you have the best floral shirts on that airplane? And two, were you ready to be to, for your best linesman impression? If, uh, if, if duty called for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I dressed pretty conservatively on that, uh, on that flight. I think I even wore a suit on the plane. Whoa. Did they serve peanuts or pretzels or cookies? Do you remember? Oh, oh I'll tell you what. Oh, I love this. WHL kids, they eat, and they eat a lot. <laughs> Boy, the food started about an hour into the flight, and I think we were still eating when we landed. It was uh, it was good. That's it was all... a morning flight. I think they brought three or four courses. Oh, wow. I well, look forward so... to it someday. So, so the, Maybe. Was, was, was the food the best part of the, the flight then for you, Perry? Well, that was a very, very good part. It was some insight into what these kids eat. And it can't be cheap taking a WHL team on the road because it's not like you're 
throw, you know, throwing uh, Whopper Juniors at them or something. These kids are, as you know, eating steak and chicken. And it's, and then you look at all the rooms that uh, teams pay for during the course of a season. It's got to be pretty expensive to have a, a team on the road. So there you go. Support your local WHL franchise so they can afford to play on the road. <laughs> but uh, that's well, Perry Bergson pulling back the curtain a little bit, as per usual, telling us all the, the wonders of flying in the WHL final and talking about the trade down line. Before we, we, we put a bow on it here, is there anything, any other topics that uh, either of you gentlemen wanted to bring up here? I can't think so. A lot of lot of fun hockey ahead, and the real season is still yet to get underway here in the WHL. Yeah, absolutely. I got two seven-month-old puppies crossing their legs here, so it'd be time to get them <laughs> here shortly. But uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. You know, I think when you've covered the league for a while, at the end of January, sometimes there's a bit of a lull where it's you just don't even want to be at the rink. It's a long season. And I don't think, like when you just go to games, when you go to 34 home games, that, you know, that, that's lots of hockey. But when you're covering the team and you're at practice every day and that, it's a really long eight or nine month grind. So we'll see, like 27 games left for the Wheat Kings and then into the playoffs or not into the playoffs. I've covered both. Um, so I'm just looking forward to the end of March and, kind of knowing what's next. So we will, we'll try to get you on at least once more Perry. We'll promise that for our, our uh, listeners, whenever that may be, but thank you for coming on tonight and say, uh, apologize to the pops for holding them uh, inside longer. I think that uh, Fred and Barney have borne it up pretty well here. Get there, them up. <laughs> there, there you go. That's been, so this has been episode 15 of the two paper guys podcast as per usual there's plenty of podcasts out there thanks for taking the time to listen to us yap for a few for a few minutes however long this ends up being but uh have a great morning evening afternoon whatever you listen to the podcast we don't judge and uh we'll see you on the show next time you're listening to the two paper guys podcast don't miss a story from james tubb by visiting medicinehatnews.com and don't miss a story from Nathan Reiner by visiting paherald.ska.ca.